You're listening to The 80-20 Show, an inside look into the music industry. Welcome to The 80-20 Show. I'm your host, and will probably be continuing to be your host, Mike Zimmerlich. And my next guest is Sam Means from The Format and Hello Merch. Now, Sam and I go into his life's journey as a musician, from how he got into music, all the way up to meeting Nate Roos, to being in all kinds of different bands, to leading into the format. He developed his own solo career. He was an accomplished songwriter. And then he ended up launching a merchandise company on top of all that. Sam has an incredible story to tell, and I can't wait for you to hear it. So I bring you Sam Means. Hey, Sam, how are you doing today? Great. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited. And just for some context, I found out about the format when the Snails EP came out back in okay. 2005. And Sounds it, about right. And it's funny because I don't know how a friend, I think a friend of mine or my girlfriend at the time told me about the format and how much she loved the band. And so I went and checked and I was a very bad music fan back in the days where I would only find, if I found one or two songs about a, a band, I would just play those one or two songs and forget about the rest, the rest of the catalog. So okay. for the longest time, I thought Tune Out was just the acoustic version. I had no idea there was actually a fully recorded version oh, wow. of Tune yeah. Out. And still today, that is my favorite song of the format is, is Tune Out, the acoustic version. That's awesome. Yeah, that was that was um, primarily a piano song when we recorded it. But it's funny because a lot of people really preferred the acoustic version of that. We did it. We so did I'm not the only bit. one. There's, no, there's some. I think we did it for a radio station here in Phoenix. There's like an acoustic compilation. And I think that's one of the tracks we've done. And it was, I, I hear that frequently. The acoustic version of that song is a crowd favorite. Do you find that's true with the other songs too, where they prefer the acoustic version over the recorded ones or did, yeah we did a lot of we we did we were actually just talking about this when we we did um in february before this pandemic started like really taking over the, the world um we squeezed in a little acoustic show uh at my at my building down here in downtown phoenix and leading up to that we were talking about how important it was that we just thought we should start off with something like that because that, that is really how the band started was just the two of us uh, with an acoustic guitar and our first show was an acoustic show and we we did a lot of that like even throughout the course of our existence as a band as, in the format we uh, we played a lot of acoustic shows I think even one of our last shows ever was an acoustic show so yeah that was I feel like there was sort of we were our conversation was about how we were sort of two different bands there was like us as the like acoustic project and then there was like the live band with all that with all the guys and people I think people enjoyed those in two different ways you know and that gives a lot of depth to, to the band as well, because I know sometimes everyone has their own tastes and, you know, as far as what kind of music they, they enjoy. I mean, I know some uh, fans that only enjoy instrumental versions of music, too, and they prefer the instrumental version of a song where there, there is no lyrics, there is no vocals. Yeah. I like a lot of, a lot of instrumental bands, actually. So oh, really? I, I totally get that. Which one's your favorite? Um, I really, well, like... That Fatboy Slim album, I mean, the one with the, oh God, what's that song? I can't even think of it now, but that was probably my first introduction to like just random instrumental music. And then Ben Folds put out an album called, with like, oh man, William, William Shatner was on it. I'm trying oh. to think of what it was called. 
It yeah, like I know what you're talking 1999 about. 1999 or something, maybe. Um, it was some like crazy psych project. But yeah, that that was like another thing too. Where I'm like, I was a huge Ben Folds 5 fan. And when that came out, I'm like, what is this? This is so stupid. And then it was, I listened to it like three or four times. I'm like, this is actually awesome. Um, and we work with some cool instrumental bands. So Hello Merch Russian Circles is a good example. They're just like, you know, metal band, no singing. Seems, you know, it's just good music. It's just good to have on in the background. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of cool stuff out there. That's amazing. And did you... Herb Albert, Scott Joplin. That's actually, Scott Joplin's probably oh. my favorite thing. That's like, on a, these things just come to me late. Yeah, you, asked, you asked me the question like 10 minutes ago and I'm still thinking about it. Uh, no, that's okay. Yeah, Scott Joplin's probably, that's probably my most influential instrumental thing. That's amazing. His little piano, piano rolls. Now, did you, uh, what instrument did you start off with? Was it the guitar or piano? What, what instrument did you start as? Guitar. A, yeah, guitar? guitar when I was about 10. My dad had a, um, this this old Martin, like, or, or uh, it's called orchestral guitar, like 018. Um, and it's now, like, just battered and ruined. I've, like, I, I took it to get fixed one time and um, maybe 10 years ago because I, I just totally, completely destroyed it. I took oh, it wow. to get fixed, and the idea was that I was going to give it to him for his birth, like, give it back to him because I stole it. So I was going to get it all fixed up and like polished and looked nice and like fixed all the, had all the wood fixed and the cracks fixed. And then it was so nice that I just kept it <laughs> when it was done. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I learned on guitar on that thing. And then when I, when I was about 10, um, my dad took me to some music store at Metro Center and bought me this Beatles, Beatles, like easy guitar chord book. And I just played through that like every single night until I knew what all the chords were. So when did you decide then you want to be a part of a, like a band or a project? Um, I remember like a right around then, because I, I mean, the Beatles were like my thing. So around then, I, I remember with like one of my next door neighbors, we recorded some like Sgt. Pepper. I can't remember what albums, but I just remember the cover was like, we had printed it out on my, my dad's printer and I colored it in with crayon or something and did some Sgt. Pepper covers. And, uh, so pretty early on, I would say, like, once I once I knew how to play, I remember, like, just recording random Weezer covers and stuff on a four track. And but not until I was about, not until I met, like, Nate and a couple of these other guys back in the day in high school. I, I didn't really know that you could, I didn't know that you could just, like, start a band. I did, like, seriously, you know, I just, it seemed so, so um, impossible. Because you just don't have any point of reference. You just think of bands as, like, oh, they're all, they're all famous. Like every band is every band. That's an impossible thing to reach, you know? So, um, but then I met, we, we met this guy, Joe, you know, we had been messing around in like Nate's garage with a few of us. And then at some point in time, this guy, Joe came into the picture and he was from Michigan and he had recorded some stuff for real, like on a, but it was still like four track stuff, but it was the most professional recording we had heard like that of someone that we had met. And that, I think that was really like truly when it, kicked in that we could just record like we could go record an album or something you know so uh i was maybe like 18 or something at that point 17 and is that when you met nate as well or did you meet nate earlier yeah i met nate right before that i met him at a weezer show through a mutual friend of ours like december 1996 like the pinkerton tour this place called electric ballroom oh very Uh, cool i used to i'm a huge nerd so i used to run the weezer fan club website I oh, really to, like code HTML when I was like 15 and oh, that's uh, so cool so I I'd, I'd, I'd somehow like weaseled my way into being their 
their fan club website through these girls, Michael and Carly, who were running it. And so that, yeah, I just, there were a couple kids here in town that like knew that some kid in Glendale, like was running the Weezer website that they were looking at trying to get news on what was going on. And one of those kids was Nate. And so we all met at this Weezer show and he came to me like asking me a bunch of questions. And I don't know if he thought we were going to like meet him. Or I actually ended up did meeting Weezer that night, but I didn't, I didn't take anybody else with me. But You end up uh, meeting Weezer? Yeah, they. I kind of like walked on the bus for five, did one of those like, you know, five second awkward bus trips where it's like, hey, just step up on the bus, say hi to whoever's here that like doesn't want to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, and then immediately turn, just be like, hey guys, and then immediately turn around and walk away. Um, so yeah, I had one of those moments. That's pretty cool. That's very cool. And then what was your first band? What what genre of music was it? Um, so then like the easiest, the gateway band was like the pop punk band. We were listening to like, we were going to shows at the Nile. Um, we were listening to a ton of pop punk music, like pretty much anything. Those are the most accessible shows. And then just going to Zia Records and like learning about the whole, you know, culture of like DIY music and stuff like that. So we would just, we'd spend our, our weekends like scouring the bins at Zia Records and just finding something, um, you know, like five out of 10 of the albums that we would collectively buy would be great. And then we'd find something else from that. And then we'd go back, trade in the ones we didn't like and start all over. Um, so yeah, it, it was, the first band was pretty terrible. It's called Never Gonna Score. It I love was, that name. Uh, yeah, it was me and Nate and then Marco um, joined at some point. Um, he was in the format, is in the format. Uh, and then a couple other guys, this guy Nick and then the guy Joe, he was in it too. Um, yeah, that, that band had like a few wildcard members, like people kind of jumping in and out. We had this bass player, Adam, for a while, who's a friend of ours from uh, the neighborhood. So yeah, that, and then that band broke up and we, we uh, the Joe guy took off and we turned into whoever was left over. We turned into this band called This Past Year, which was a little bit more like graduated from like pop punk into like the get up kids a little bit, like trying to do that thing, like starting to see more Jimmy world shows, starting to, you know, like learn about bands like cursive and like um, the get up kids and promise ring. And, you know, I think probably more so like inspired by the get up kids was, was that band. We we recorded five songs. We burned like 50 CDs and that was it. And then we broke up after like six months. That sounds about so right. That that's like most that. bands are like that. Most bands will stick together for about six months to a year. Then that's, that's yeah, the we were just it. like really trying. But then it, by that time, like there were, I was always the older one. So like, I was really trying to take it seriously. Cause I'm like, I had the pressure of like, I really have to make this work or else I have to start going to college. <laughs> I got to do something here. Um, and then everyone was a little bit behind me and, you know, maybe some of them were starting to go to college now at that point. And so they were getting distracted and, or some of them were getting girlfriends or getting like real jobs somewhere. And so, you know, that's, that's sort of how that happens. Things just like fall apart. And um, so everyone kind of went their separate ways, but I had recorded a version. I'd recorded the last thing I did was like a four track version of the first single, which was the first format song that we ever did. It just was like a, a drum track on my like little, you know, goodwill keyboard thing. And then just like a pretty slow version of that song, but all the, things where all the little hooks were there but there's it was just the music you know um 
and I, somebody had left that in Nate's car. And so over the course of three to four months or something, he just like found it in his car and started listening to it and then wrote the lyrics for it and called me up and was like, what is this? We should record this. And I just happened to be in the studio recording a version of a song called Sore Thumb that was on the first format album. I was mm-hmm. just like myself, like just me and this, the guy that was recording. I was like, I don't know. I want to like all the, all the other guys took off. So I guess it's just me. I'll just have to figure out, I'm just going to start rec- like kind of like a feel the dreams thing. Like I'm just going to start recording and like maybe people will figure it out and like start jumping in and helping me, uh, which is funny because that is actually what ended up happening. So I was like in the studio Nate called me and he's like, what is this? We should record this. And I'm like, well, I'm in the studio right now. So I'm going to come down here and let's do it. And so we recorded, that's what became our first EP was that week we recorded. We didn't end up finishing Sore Thumb, but we did, we did the first single and yeah, I don't know, three or four other songs that are on that, that first EP. So would you say then when the format was created, was it more at that point, a more of a serious tone of, Hey, let's make this into let's see how far we can take this in comparison to the other projects or was it still yeah, kind that of was rocky a weird thing like we still had like a, we st- i feel like we still had some pretty good like local buzz from the the previous two bands like we were making a good progression up you know so when people started catching wind that we had this other band i don't know it just it it just it, it went well pretty quickly you know like the first I, first show was maybe at uh the Nile basement or something we did an acoustic show and it was pretty full there were a lot of kids there and then we did I think a modified show after that same thing just an acoustic show um and so that we then we started throwing a band together and right away like within we ended up on some website called the scout uh this guy Kevin used to run I don't know where he ended up but uh it was just like a thing. He would just post these songs and there were a lot of record label people were, I guess, paying attention to this website. So we, st- within the first, like, you know, a couple months, we actually started getting, we hadn't even really played a proper show yet. I don't think but we started getting some interest from record labels. So it's kind of a weird whirlwind. So all these things were that we had been working up to kind of happened at the most unexpected time. You know, we thought all the bands were done. And then the two of us just recorded this thing for fun. And all of a sudden that's when everything kind of took off. Wow. And what were you thinking at that time where you're getting these, these label offers? Was this something that you felt that you, you weren't ready for or that, you know, what, what was your mindset at that time? We didn't really know. I mean, we were pretty, we were pretty sure that we shouldn't do any kind of like major label thing at that point, just from our, um, you know, school of, of punk rock or whatever, like where we had just come from the last like four years where we'd heard about every band getting kind of screwed over by record labels or, you know, just how much better it seemed to just be like a band that was out there kind of doing it on your own. But we were also like totally broke, (laughs) like just really, really, really wanted to be in a band. And we started getting like some real actual interest. And so, um, I don't know. I think it was like, if anyone's ever seen Arrested Development, there's some, scene where Tobias is talking about how like this thing never works, but it just might work for them regarding like his marriage. I can't remember what the quote is, but that's basically what it was. We're like, we know this major label thing, like 99% of the time just doesn't work and the bands end up getting totally screwed over, but like, let's give it a shot. Why not? Maybe it'll work for us. You know, we didn't really have anything to lose, honestly. So right. or at least we thought at the time we we're like, we've only put like six to nine months into this. 
like we're getting some good offers. We should just maybe see what happens, you know? And so it seemed like people were into it. Um, so we had some interest from some cool like indie labels and from a couple uh, major labels. And we ended up going with Electra cause they just seemed, we just liked their roster. I mean, like huge fans like The Cure and um, Brett Miller was putting out a record right around that time and Third Eye Blind and all these other bands that we just sort of, you know, seemed cool, seemed like we fit. Um, so yeah, we did it and it was like a terrible, <laughs> terrible experience. It was exactly what we thought probably was gonna happen. It, it really did and it actually, but it happened a lot faster, <clears throat> happened a lot faster than we anticipated because the record label ended up like completely folding. Um, I think our record came out in October, 2000 three um maybe that seem right yeah 2003 yeah sounds about right <clears throat> and then i think by like february of 2004 or somewhere right around then first quarter 2004 it was like done they were gone <laughs> wow that's real fast yeah so we had we we had only gone out we had done one tour which was this horrible like wb um like the wb network it just was just starting up like seven heaven that kind of stuff, those kind of TV shows. Um, and they were doing like a tour and Electra was, cause it was all, that's under the Warner Brothers wing. So Electra was like putting together this tour where all the actors or, you know, some actors and act from these shows would come out and like introduce the bands and they'd be at the festival, you know, kind of like this little TV festival. And it was us in this band called Social Burn, which was kind of like a, I don't know, like a Nirvana sort of type band maybe they're not a great band i'm like very nice people very very nice people um wasn't a huge fan of their music but that was an interesting tour um and then after right after that it was just like we were sort of on our own and that next year you know after we found out that they were they were done we got we didn't get dropped which was surprising because most people did a lot of people did and for some reason i think just because we were so new and they had just sort of dumped this money into us they didn't want to let us go yet so we were just in limbo for a long time. So that's when we really just decided like, like we know what to do. You know, we like, we had all the schooling. So we're like, we're on our own. So let's just, we tried, didn't work. And so let's just start touring. So we, we uh, called for a booking agent and just toured for the next five years after that. You know? Wow. What was one of the things that you learned while you were on Electra that you took with you after after you decided to go independently? Just to never, I mean, never do, it's not even like it was that much money, but just never do anything for money. It's even if it's sort of like a joke, you know, <laughs> it's just nothing good will ever come out of that situation. Um, you know, sometimes you need like a little bit of a kickstart, I guess, you know, so maybe, maybe some people do need that, you know, like, and it just would help. It didn't really help us. It, like, maybe it sort of helped us to we were sort of a unique band where we um you know it was just the two of us who were writing everything so a lot of the other band members were on like essentially on payroll and so maybe it kind of helped us we didn't really pay ourselves for years so we were able to like at least sort of make that initial little chunk of cash that we got stretched for a few years and not make any money so that we could pay everybody not only pay everybody else but since our label was gone and we had no tour support we were also like putting the bill for literally everything and we weren't making that much money because no one really knew who we were yet outside of arizona so we had to go do all the 
you know, all the groundwork and all the opening tours where you're not making that much money. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I would just say, yeah, you, you just, you can't go in any, any kind of, especially now, I mean, the music business, I, I know the music business is just so it's ridiculous. It's like totally ridiculous. So you, you definitely don't go into anything with any kind of expectation that anyone's going to ever do anything for you. You have to do it all yourself. Yeah. I think that it's important to build because even with yourself, right. Is that you still, even after you left after Electra folded, you still went on independently. You still had to have a team of people that you relied on to go on these tours. Yeah. So I think it's also important to find the right team. Absolutely. Yeah. When I and, when, and I always use that term loosely yourself. I, I definitely mean yourself with your, your people, your collective self, you know, not, not people in suits, like the people that you basically are picking because you, you trust them, you know? Right. And there were people like, you know, people that we were with that we got kind of like dumped on at Atlantic. They were really great. You know, they were genuine. I, I think they were actually pretty genuine people before we ended up getting dropped. Like they really tried and I still, you know, keep in touch with them today. They just, I, you know, I think that they, there are, it's not, I don't want to, I don't want to just totally say, you know, everyone in the music business is bad. There's people that are trying, but like, it's just a, like a lot of other things in this world, just a bad structure, you know? So it's hard to be a good person in like a, in what's essentially a broken system, which so many of our things are today in this world, you know, just get stuck in these like antiquated systems and it's hard to move out of them. One of the things I like to say is that in order to have a success, so many things have to go right. Right. And only a few things need to go wrong for it to fail. For sure. So usually the odds are against you, even with a great team with people who have good intentions. It's still especially now. Yeah. Yeah. More than ever now. It's like there's it's uh, everyone has such a short attention span and there's just so much out there you know, with the internet and like you have everything at your disposal. So it's just, you really got to, people ask me like, how do you make it? <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I st- I'm still working on it. I haven't gotten there yet, but I, th- I think what it is, is just, you know, you just do your best. Like you just do whatever you, you just do whatever you need to do for yourself to be happy doing what you're doing. That's, I think that's the most important thing is just, if you're making music, just, make it for yourself. If you're in a business, make sure you're, that's, it's a business you, you, you can get behind, you get behind, you know, same with, I mean, same with really anything, your job, your whatever, like you got to make sure you're on board with it. And, you know, I know not everybody has that luxury, so it's, it's easy to say, but you know, I, I would always just, if anyone was asking me, that's just always what I tell them to strive for is just, just make sure you're doing something that you can get behind at least, you know, I a hundred percent agree. So did that, was that one of your reasoning for pivoting? Cause after the format, you did more into songwriting and eventually developing your own solo career. So was that, was that what you were thinking at that time? I thought I would like start another band. Uh, is what I, it's kind of the natural progression, but I, I mean, I realized pretty quickly that that wasn't as easy as I thought it might be. I had such a special songwriting bond with Nate like I had just written so many songs with him over the course of you know our, in the in the most formative years of learning how to do what we do really for real we're all spent with him so when I try to I did write some songs with some other people um, I right out of the gate I did a little um, movie soundtrack 
and I did that with some friends and I didn't do any any writing with anybody there but just had some people a bunch of people play on it that I just love and they severely helped me out because I just didn't you know I didn't know what else to do I just kind of wanted to do something but yeah it was hard I mean I, I did a couple things um like a couple songwriting things and it's just it's fun but it just wasn't the same so I just you know I think at that point I just realized like I will go write with somebody just for fun but I don't think I necessarily I don't know if I really want to be in a band like I don't I, I realize that if this is making sense I didn't really want to be in a band I just wanted to be in like around those friends like it wasn't that we were, it wasn't the band I loved I loved our friends I didn't really love the idea of the band I loved the idea of hanging out with the people that I love you know so that was um when the thought came up of like do I go on tour I like, started working with uh, Michelle from Straight Light Run and there's this band called Destry that she started up and I, I worked with with her and a couple other people Sean and and Nicole and that's all it was um anyway but yeah that you know it was presented like well we're gonna go on tour you want to go and I was like yeah. <laughs> I don't know I can understand that yeah it sounds kind of fun but then like I had also just at the same time started Hello Merch and so I'm like I don't know I just got a lease at this place I don't know if I can go do it so it's, things came up over the years and I just um enough time went on and then I had a kid and so then that like kind of killed everything so just a lot of a lot of um a lot of possibilities to start another band like those options came up but it just was never really the right time and then so much time went by that I just was like well I guess I should just start recording some music myself because I I can't go tour I can't go start a whole other thing now I have all this stuff going on here at home so I got to deal with that so I'll just like record in my spare time so I did a couple EPs and and then a few years ago I did a like proper album which I which was really fun it sounded fun. It looks like you really enjoyed that. It was a fantastic album. Thanks. Yeah, that was that was cool because I just got out of town and like went and recorded it with Steve McDonald, who did Dog Problems, and he did the the first fun album, and uh, worked with Roger Manning again, who did all the the uh, arrangements on both those albums I just mentioned. So it was cool just to have that experience again and just be like I love Steve. Like Steve is one of my favorite people on the planet. So just to spend time with him was worth every second. Did you find what uh, experiences did you find were different from doing a solo project in comparison to a band? Besides the the obvious like conflicts with band members and things like that, was there anything that you learned about now being in a solo project for the first time? It was yeah, it was weird being like kind of fully in control over it. Like when I had done stuff in the past on my own, it was very much just like you know in my basement or wherever. I wasn't really answering to a lot of people. Where but then when I worked with Steve and I went to LA, yeah, just that dynamic of being in those same situations I was in before with the format where you're having to, you know, relay information to a, a viola player or whatever, you know, it's like, I was very much used to doing that with someone else right next to me who's very vocal. So it was like, a, I was, it was familiar, but also like a little strange at the same time because not a lot of it was really a little bit outside of my comfort zone, but I think that ultimately helped me because I'm generally like a pretty quiet, quiet person. So, you know, in some weird way, it probably helped me just even in like business management, like having to manage putting a record together, you know, like, and, and vice versa, I would imagine too. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a little different, but just being around all those people like uh, Marco and Don from the format both, both flew out and played on it. Uh, and then, yeah, like I said, being around Steve and his wife, Anna, and 
just, I mean, everything just felt comfortable, you know. Did you find that this experience helped you with Hello Merch? Because you mentioned that you started Hello Merch before you had a solo career. Is that correct? Or when, when did, when did Hello yeah, Merch I mean, get it was kind of like around the same time. Like Hello Merch, I started Hello Merch, um, sounds like around the same time you started your record label, like 2008, which is a weird time to be starting anything. True. Like, what was going on in the world around that time. But uh, yeah, so I, I started Hello Merch, but it didn't, you know, we never did any kind of like, it was all word of mouth and it's still for the most part is. So we had a really slow build. Like that was something that I think I learned, or I know I learned for sure and took to heart you know, with the format experience was like, don't try to do this. Um, don't try to like get ahead of yourself, like just do the slow build, you know? So that's what I did with Hello Merch is I just took it really, really, really slow for the first, but probably for the first five to eight years, you know, it was really just me and this other guy, Toko, who was our, the formats merch guy, he worked for me. I don't think it was until 2000, maybe 2013, that we started getting some other employees and going from there, you know, but um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think I did learn a lot. I, I think, I think all of this stuff just, to me, it's all one big thing. I just, it's one giant life lesson and it's all connected. So I, people make fun of me cause I always have so many things going on, but to me, it's the same thing. It's just, it's all the same thing. It's just different. Well, maybe different lanes, but it's what I've learned here is just as appropriate to, to, you know, these situations fit in this box and this this box and this box so um i think that's true for for everything I mean, you start talking to people that run businesses i'm in like some business groups and stuff and like, you know you talk to these guys that are in completely different businesses than me like and you think like what could i ever have in common with them and it's like you have everything in common with them it's all the same like everything's the same it's funny that you mentioned that because about I would say six to seven years ago, I joined a co-working space called Cohoots, which is based in Phoenix. It's just there. close. You've been to Cohoots? Yeah, I think on Washington. Oh, wow. I I got there right when that Washington location opened. I was I, just, I, I had an account that, that, that was working there or something, so I walked in there once. Oh, really? Very cool. Yeah, so it's um, it was an amazing experience, and it's funny being... A member of Cohoots, where most of the businesses have nothing to do with the music industry at all, right. and I've learned more from them in many cases than I have with the people within the music community, because I was able to understand how they do things, how their industries run, and I was able to take those things and then apply it to eighty twenty records. So I think that's a yeah, great idea always to look at. I know I heard this from a lot of people where they will go to conventions that has nothing to do with their business whatsoever. And that's where they get their best ideas because they don't realize, oh, they do it this way for X, Y, and Z reasons because they learned that from, from whatever their practices are. And they were Absolutely. able to apply that to their own business. And then they can do all these different things that people didn't think of that can be applied to their industry. For sure. Yeah, I agree 100 percent. So for Hello Merch, because you mentioned you want to do something with your friends, was that the reason you decided to create Hello Merch? Yeah, yeah. So Hello Merch was that was another thing. It just kind of happened. Like I never really expected to own a business, but when you know the format after the format ultimately eventually ended up getting dropped, and we had we you know formed our own 
label, which was basically just our management company helping us out. It was really all that was. They were incredible people. Um, but, you know, we that that became the thing is like, we are doing everything ourselves. Like I said, going back to it, our collective selves, but ourselves. Um, and we did, so we started, you know, we were doing the merch ourselves too. So we had, had my, my best friend I had known for 30 years had been working with this band called Finch and they had this merch set up in California called uh, Worms of the Earth. And so he had some experience working for them and sort of just knew the ins and outs of like e-commerce at that point in time, which was pretty, like I knew how to do website stuff, but I'd never really messed around with any of that. Um, so when we got out of this merch deal that we ran, I don't remember what year it was, it was probably like 2000, before dog problems came out, so maybe like 2005 or so. Um, we just got a little warehouse and he, he would just work there while we were on tour. And we set everything up, got the store set up, got the, the payment gateway set up, which was a huge pain back then, like very difficult. If you get these like CSR, SSL certificates and like take it to a bank and that was this whole thing, it was really annoying. Um, now you can start a website, like a web store in like nine seconds. Right, almost um, literally nine seconds. Maybe even a little bit faster if you've done it before. That's uh, true. But yeah, it was uh, it was super difficult at that time. and. But it was cool and we got it set up and um, ran that for a few years and it was going really well. We had a friend screen printing for us. It was our, another friend from years ago. So we just had this cool little operation going just, you know, just like everything else. Like we were just doing it ourselves and we'd come home from tour and like I would go down there and help pack orders and sign packing slips and do whatever, you know, just having fun. And it was going so well that like some bands on tour would start asking us about like who does your merch? Like who's do, who does your printing? Who's doing your web store? Like we're like, we are, you know, but we just were so busy with our own thing that we just couldn't really think of, of taking on anyone else at that point. But then in 2008, when the, the band broke up, it was like, well, now I have some time. What do I do? I guess maybe I'll just start this. So like a couple of weeks, that was just my first idea. I'm like, until I figure out what band I'm going to go be in or, what's going to happen with my life or if I'm an advocate or what's going to happen, I'll just go down and file, you know, the LLC paperwork and start this new business and just see what happens and just call a couple of people and to see if anyone's interested. And if they are, then I'll do it and I'll figure out a way to do it from the road, you know, hire some people or, you know, who knows, we'll see how it goes. And that's just, that's what I did. And I just never really turned back from there, you know? So I'm sure you have plenty of stories to tell over 12 years of now running Hello Merch, which is insane to think about, right? 12 or 12 years. Yeah. Uh, is there, uh, what have you noticed were the biggest mistakes that bands have made when it comes to merchandise? Well, a lot, <laughs> a lot. Um, Do you have, a, you have big, one specific one? Yeah, probably the biggest one would just be, you know, not, not advertising that it exists. You know, That's a good a one. Yeah, you have a really good opportunity when you have a new album to do a pre-order on your merch store. And like over the course of the years, there's been, I was just joking around with somebody the other day about this. There was like these very various little gimmicky merch, like startups that have popped up over the years. And all the managers would go to South by Southwest and come across this booth and be wowed by them and come back and be like, can you do this? Can you do this? And, you know. It, you know something like oh this this new thing like does like a splash page and you can embed your 
your pre-order over here, but your merch store is over here. So like those kinds of things, just like removing, um, I, don't, I think I think bands right now more than ever are realizing like it's a good income stream, like it's a good revenue stream. It's it's where you can actually you can get. I mean, to some people it seems tacky to to talk about like selling, you know, slinging your merch. Like you know, who wants to talk about? I'm a serious musician. I don't want to talk about selling T-shirts on my Instagram account, but you can actually have like a pretty strong connection with people over a T-shirt design. You know, like if it means a lot, you you work with. If it needs to have depth, it can have depth. You can have depth to it. You can work with an artist that like has a cool story and you can share that and that's, you know, get people on board with it. And then you're, now you're like uplifting an, an artist and like giving them a spotlight. And also like this year, especially we've done so many really cool charitable fundraising things where like you can do so much good just with a t-shirt or, a, or whatever, you know, like a mug, like whatever it is. And then plus just like selling your music, like it's, it, you don't need um, major labels anymore. You know, you can get distribution through anything, any website, digital distribution, and you can through even something like Bandcamp or whatever you want. And you can have that physical presence through a merch company or an indie label. Like I still fully back indie labels, obviously. I appreciate um, that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, I mean, those are those are good people. Those are people you can trust, and those are also people where that generally, when you're working with like an independent label, you're in a partnership with them. You know, it's not like you're not in control um, by them. You're you're working with them to achieve a common goal. So that's how we run the merch company too. That's always been our thing. Is like this isn't our deal. Like this is your deal. We're just facilitating it for you. So you make all the decisions. You spend all the money. Like we're not we're not touching that stuff. So. Um, yeah, I, I think people just need to realize that like, you know, the world is changing and there's like a lot of different ways that you can really utilize your store. And people are seeing that right now, like, like you know, a lot because <laughs> they, they can't go out on tour. They can't, they don't have a merch table in, in, uh, in LA, you know, for three sold out shows that they just had. It's like, nope, you're stuck at home. So you better figure something out. Absolutely. Well, that I think is a really good note to end on. So thank you so much, Sam, for your time. I really do appreciate it. Of course. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the 8020 show. To learn more about 8020 Records, you can check us out on pretty much any social media at 8020records or visit our website at www.8020records.com. Until next time, be happy be healthy, and be productive.